Pot on the Tyne is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, a podcast by The Athletic, uh, all about Newcastle United. My name's Taylor Payne, and I'm joined in the studio by the devilish duo, Mr. Chris Woff. How are you doing, Chris? I'm very good, thank you. And Mr. George Colkin. How are you, George? Exceedingly well, thank you, sir. Exceedingly well, like a Mr. Kipling cake. How delightful. Oh, well, lads, it's lovely to have you both back in the studio. It's been a while since we did this, the three of us. Uh, how are we doing? Are we good? I've already answered that question by saying I'm exceedingly well. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Would you like to move on to the next topic? No, no, I'm going to ask you again. How are you doing? Are you exceedingly okay? Exceedingly well. Good. All right, Chris, are you well? Exceedingly irritated. I, I, I don't have the sort of tinge that, that George has after being sun-kissed last week. Sun-kissed, George. I was sun-snogged. Sun- it, was, it was gorgeous. Yeah, I was in Spain. Which is very nice. So I missed the first of the two storms that have been hitting us recently. Kiara and Dennis. Kiara and Sound Dennis. Like a lovely old couple who run a. I had this conversation New whilst England. I was away. I think they've got the naming of these storms all wrong. And I do not wish to downplay the importance of this kind of stuff, but why don't they give them scary names? Like Storm Bastard, Storm Vengeance, <laughs> Storm Valhalla. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. Storm Beelzebub. Yeah. Because then you would stay indoors, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, but I mean, the most it did in my street was knocked over a couple of wheelie bins. It hasn't really got Storm that. wheelie bins. <laughs> doesn't work. So I think they've got that wrong and they should change that. That's my... But I was thinking that whilst being snogged by the sun in Spain, which is very nice. Yeah, I was away um, with uh, Dalian Professional, as they are called now. Rafa Benitez is Chinese club. And to be slightly... To, to now go slightly serious... Um, they are in pre-season at the moment in Spain and um, it's been quite a strange experience for them because they're sort of exiled there because China is is kind of closed down because of the coronavirus. So um, the idea was to go across that, uh, to go across there, talk to Rafa about that, this strange feeling of preparing for a season which has been postponed indefinitely and might, of course might not happen at all. So, But I, it was very nice that I got a bit of sun whilst I was there. Lovely stuff, Chris. How about you? You've been busy. Your back gates all right now. <laughs> Did Storm Dennis do any more damage to you? No, Storm Dennis has <laughs> is left me alone, thankfully. But um, unfortunately, I had the the I suppose the uh, tort. Well, I was going to use torture. That's too much of a word. I had I had to go to Arsenal on at the weekend and yeah. see and see the second half. Which the first half was very good, and I'm sure we're going to get on this later. But yeah, the yeah. the they could have been a lot worse in terms of travelling there and back. So I hope everyone got there and back very safely. Given the storm, but uh, and and that they've managed to forget the second half that was the Emirates. <laughs> You've been speaking to Jetro Willems recently as well, haven't you? I have. I saw Jetro Willems was back in, on Tyneside from Thursday till Saturday, uh, and after he'd gone to the training ground on Friday to see uh, 
Dr. Paul Catterson just to so basically his treatment is being run between Newcastle, Eintracht, Frankfurt, and sort of he says that he's in control and he used the term that they're, they're like a threesome is what he said in terms of how the, how they're looking after it. Yes, um, typical Dutchman. <laughs> <laughs> and so after he'd been at the training ground, uh, I then met him uh, across near Darris Hall at a Fratelli across in, in Pontyland. And we had a coffee and he basically chatted about how his recovery's going and um, said that he'd love to come back to Newcastle at some stage. He's still technically on loan here, even though right, he's been so they removed from the squad. They haven't kind of cancelled that loan agreement. He's still technically our player. Right? Yeah, he's still technically in Newcastle, but he's outside the 25-man squad. I mean, he wouldn't be able to play anyway because he's injured, but he's not registered in the Premier League. But seemingly and I don't know the certain but seemingly my take on the situation is that Eintracht Frankfurt basically said well look he was he was meant to be with you for the season he's got injured for the rest of the season you can keep paying his wages for the rest of the season because he was yeah. meant to be with you is where he got injured yeah. so I assume that's that's the situation but he seemed very happy with with the way that things are working between the three of them in terms of going forward and he's had his he had his surgery in Germany about two and a half weeks ago that went well um and so he's done he's basically torn two cruciate ligaments um, so it was a very serious injury, and I think mentally for the first couple of weeks it, it was difficult. But he, he I'm not going to lie, he wasn't, he wasn't the best interviewee I've ever had before. Um, but in terms of just, he, he's he's quite reserved. He, he's not, he's a very nice man, but he, but he's quite reserved. So it was it was interesting to chat to him though about it, about what he thinks about the future and that basically he's going to keep coming back for matches. He's going to come. He's still got a box at St James's Park, so he's likely to be there for all the remaining games. Start with Burnley. Nice one. So we've done everything we can to avoid talking about the Arsenal game, but let's dive into that now. So, oh my God, what what was all that about? We had a first half which in which we looked fairly decent, quite comfortable. We were, you know, attacking and we, we looked good on the ball. We were closing down Arsenal quite a lot. We were making life difficult for them. And then a second half in which we, you know, we folded quicker than a cheap accordion, didn't we? So. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those games where you do look completely different contrasts and halves and it, it, it's the cliche but it was for the first half I think part of that was because Arsenal were quite ponderous on the ball they were very slow and you watch Newcastle be their quite effective best on the counter-attack I thought Lazaro was really effective t- the first 20 minutes in particular right wing back uh, brought a book in from Xhaka and really got him behind there Joe Linton was breaking him behind Sam Maximan in particular was very dangerous and for, and for that first half I thought that we saw what this Newcastle side can do on the mm. rare occasions they get the ball and so they did look really effective without actually creating too many clear-cut opportunities Anything to add George? Um well, it it did it it degenerated pretty swiftly, didn't it? Certainly after did. after half time, yeah. So, I mean, I'm was that scoreline of it kind of reflective of the game as a whole? I don't know really. I mean, I thought they were okay in the first half, as Chris said. Admittedly, I was watching on the telly back home. Uh, St. Maximum caused them all sorts of problems, um, and that was good to see. The you know that I suppose the familiar story was he was getting forward, but other people weren't, and so you know we were left in the position where he was driving the ball across the face of goal, and nobody else was anywhere near it. And there was the nobody box. even in the box. Nobody, nobody in the box. Nobody and, anywhere near the box. You know, and I, I think that you know that that gets us onto the the great forty million pound enigma that is Jolinton again. Um, he who actually you know did a lot of things quite well in the first half in terms of holding the ball up and 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 things like that, but was just nowhere to be seen in the area that he needs to be seen. Well, Miguel um, Arteta praised him after the game. Miguel Arteta singled out Joe Linton for the way that he held up the ball and we did things during the first half and then mentioned Almiron and St Maximum as well. But it was just interesting that he he offered that up. he wasn't even asked about Joe Linton. He offered that up as sort of praise oh, after okay. the game. 
It's an interesting thing, though, isn't it? Is this a is this a from Joel Linton's point of view? Is this a a lack? It's not. Is it a lack of effort, or is it a lack of that striker's instinct of being able to get yes. in the positions? It's not. A lack, it's definitely not a lack of effort, is it? Because because well, he, I was he, say, he, it doesn't he, feel he, like a lack of effort. No. When you watch him, he was he was busting the gut a lot of times. Yeah, but he's just not getting into the place that he needs to be to score goals. He's not. He's not in the place that a striker needs to be, and so that still hasn't happened for him. I mean, the. I think it is important to say a couple of things. Firstly, Arsenal were dreadful in, the, in that first half. Yeah, they were. Um, so there was there was definitely an opportunity to sort of be taken there, and you know things things went badly wrong in the second half, and some of the defending towards the end was was kind of pretty pretty awful, really. Um, you know, it, this team is a is a is still a mystery. It's um, you know it's an it's an unsolvable equation. This team, yeah. and. Um, it's that second half was that second half was tough to watch. We've said that so many times. The, after the game as well, Bruce was asked about this other statistic. I think Joel had three touches three in the touches box, and he was asked Arsenal's about that. Pandemic, and then yeah. Bruce was so, "Oh, well, that's that's a strange stat." And so, well, actually, if you watch what he does, one day, it isn't that strange no, because yeah. it is a strange stat if you think a centre forward should be in the box more than that. But actually. Across the season as a whole, I wrote a piece last week where basically saying I think Joe Linton's had the most touches in the box of any Newcastle player, but he's forty second. This was before the beginning. He was forty second in the list of all Premier League players for number of touches in the opposition box this season, and he's played in just about every single game. So it shows that this is this isn't an abnormal performance. That's what it's been like all, and it's not just Joe Linton. Every single Newcastle player, they don't get enough bodies forward, and that creates all these problems. And particularly having the centre forward like that, but it's also the rest of the attacking players. When you sit so deep though, and you're soaking up, and you're just sitting and soaking up pressure like this, and you're counting on your fast wide players to break forward for you, it's going to be really difficult to get players beyond the halfway line, isn't it? I mean, they they're sat there with a bank of five and a bank of four. And then Joel Linton up on his own, and we just can't seem to get the support up to him. No, and Sam Maximan and, and Almiron are very good at carrying the ball up, up the pitch, but the, the problem I have is because, he's, as you say, they're, they're getting it so deep that rather than getting it 40 yards out and driving into the box, they're getting it 60, 70 yards out and driving into the, the opposition half, and they haven't got enough bodies to follow them. So yeah. that that is that is part of the problem. Newcastle play very deep, and they looked very solid first half doing that, but it's... The, the the short blanket. I don't want to refer to it from last week, but that's essentially what it is. And Bruce basically said it in, in different terms on Sunday, where he said, "If I try to make us more offensive, then we just become too open." And and that's the problem that Newcastle have. You you, you sort of plug one gap, and then another one appears, and yeah. and they have those issues. And if you if you're relying on counter attacking football, which Newcastle are in terms of the offensive side of the game, then it you do have to have the right personnel. Now they've got the they've got the right attributes in terms of Almiron and St Maximum because they they can break very very quickly and they're creative enough to do something with the ball you need somebody on the end of that so again you know if you look back to last season the second half of last season the trio that Newcastle had up top worked really really well in that system because that was what that that's what those players were designed to do this system at the moment it's not it doesn't suit Gillington. I'm not sure what system does suit Gillington, yeah, but it's not problem, this. He's it? the wrong player in that in that style and in that system. If you're going to break and if your speedy attacking players are going to get up the pitch, somebody has to be there to get onto the end of what they do. And he he he. As you 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 asked the question about instinct, he doesn't have that at the moment. Now whether that can be trained into him, coached into him or not, I don't know. 
I mean, if you're paying £40 million for a striker, you would expect them to have some of that about them already, wouldn't you? I mean, the, the, he's 20, was 22-year-old or 23-year-old, Joe Linton? This is something which you would say at strikers at that age, they, they really should have that. That should be part of their game now, shouldn't it? I mean, the, the, Sorry, Chris, the other thing I was going to say is in Spain, um, I've done a piece with uh, Salamon Rondon, or I'm in the process of writing that now. So that'll be, that'll be up on The Athletic soon enough. And again, we're harking over sort of old territory. He talked about how much he... He loved being at Newcastle, how it was the you know the best season of his career, um, and he kind of fell in love with the place. And he 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 is not the perfect centre forward, but he is he was a centre forward, and um, he was a proper centre forward, and he filled that role really really well. And I, you know, again I go back to the fact that he was available for sixteen million quid, whatever it was. Yes, big wages, but. He was someone who knew the place. He was a guarantee of something. He was a guarantee of the way you know the way you want to play and all that kind of stuff. And he he fitted in really well. You can't just pick up players and plonk them into a system and hope it works. You do it the other way around. You have to build your system around players, or you decide the way you want to play and you bring the people in who fit into that system. That hasn't happened here. I think when you've got the the, the main transfer. Uh, of the summer happening before the manager has been appointed or, you know, roughly the same time as the manager has been appointed. You don't know what that strategy is going to be. You don't know how the manager is going to want to play. Um, but we've we brought this lad in and, and you know, for all the <clears throat> for all the different negatives we've had of other strikers in the past, people like Mitrovic and people like that, they always looked hungry for goals. He always looked like he wanted to get on the end of things. He always looked like it tore him up when he didn't score. And I just don't I think get everything, that. everything to Alexander Mitrovic up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally, yeah. The milk's gone off again. <laughs> oh, yeah, but I don't get that feeling from Julian and I don't get the feeling that, that I mean, obviously this is going to be causing him problems, but I want to see a bit more, like, passion from him. I know that's like, passion, beat me chest, kiss me Newcastle badge, but it just looks like it's not bothering him too much at the minute, and I, I worry about that. I may be reading too much into this, but I sense from Steve Bruce after the game on Sunday just the change of tone, that it was almost for the first time, yes he did say we need to give Joe Linton time, but for the first time he basically said look, we keep telling him to get in the box more, we keep telling him to do all this, and almost that sense of frustration coming out publicly, because he hasn't really been like that with them. As I say, maybe that was me reading too much into it, but he said it in a various different interviews where he basically said, he, he, he keeps referring to being 22-year-old, actually 23, but he said at some point he's played wider a lot more, deeper in his career, but he needs to understand, he needs to get in the box. And I think he's basically saying, look, we're telling him to do it. At some point he needs to take that responsibility on himself and actually physically do that out on the pitch. It's it, To be fair on him, I think it's easier said than done when the whole the rest of the team are so deep as well. Because he is yeah. having to come so deep as well himself, It's a, it, again, it's that problem that Newcastle have where they're limited in certain ways so that affects everyone else in the team and they can't necessarily do their role exactly how they'd want to. I mean how do we change this because Steve Bruce says that we're not capable or we don't have the players or the quality to play a more expansive game so what do we do here because we play five at the back or three at the back with a five across the middle and we play one or two up front depending on what the game is but what needs to change in order for this to for this team to be able to play in a more expansive way, because at the minute it feels so stilted and tired, and it just, they just all look a bit. So I mean, I think I think the kind of fundamental issue goes back to the fact that they have a lot of centre halves with similar sort of qualities. I mean, some are better on the ball, like Shaw, for example, and Lejeune, but they're not uh, blessed with sort of enormous pace. And I think the fear has always been that if you play a flat back four 
then those the centre halves get exposed, and they haven't had enough kind of quality in the fullback positions either. So both Benitez in and Bruce decided that three at the back was the way to go. That makes the most of what they have in terms of in terms of the centre halves, and then protect them with sort of holding midfielders in front. If you're going to do that, then it automatically becomes a fairly limited style of play. Now they have quality um, to play more expansively, but it it's it's about the other it's about the other bits of the jigsaw. So if you have players like Saint Maximin and Almiron and Perez before, and um, you know, uh, I've forgotten who else plays for Newcastle, which is a mistake. <laughs> I'm not helping. Uh, Shelby, people like that, <laughs> but but. You know, it's not just about that. It's about how that fits with the rest of the team. And so, that I mean, I I I think I think they can change the way they play, but it's about what then happens to the rest of the team. And should point out that second half of last season, I think Newcastle's form was seventh best in the Premier League or something like that. And they showed that they could attack and they showed that they could have balance. The great word that Benitez always used, but they were they were still a counter attacking team. And um, as opposed to a possession-based team, I do think these things take take time to implement. I mean, that's 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 the theory that both managers have have kind of come to. I I don't I don't know enough about football to know whether I think that's right or not. You can say that again. Well, go on, say it again. Then. <laughs> no, what <laughs> the the, 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 the one thing that ha- that has I have found slightly confusing this season from Bruce is that when he first came in last summer. I know he came in late June pre-season, but what he tried to instill then was three-five-two. Now, subsequently, when he's spoken, he's made out as if he wants to play with four at the back. Now, he hasn't really made that clear whether that the reason he chose three-five-two was because of the personnel he had, or whether it was uh, whether he just came in and actually the idea to begin with was three-five-two, and over time he's decided it at four at the back at some stage. That's what I find slightly confusing about what, what we're going through at the moment. Is a lot of fans are saying, "Oh, let's move to four at the back." Bruce initially wanted three-five-two. Actually, we're in this three-three-five-one-one, whatever you want to call it, the current formation to play. It's just interesting there that I don't really know what the, the his actual plan has been and where he wants to go with the team. If the plan is to play four at the back, then you'd wonder why you go out and buy or loan in two wing backs as well, because they're, they're more offensive players, aren't they? Lazaro and Danny Rose. I suppose Danny Rose has played full back for a lot of his career, but you wonder why that. If that was the plan to go to four at the back, then then why do that? But I think I think the January window, and I saw raw about this in, in a piece of recently. I think essentially what Newcastle have done is that they've they've sort of just kicked the problem into the summer and like if midway through the season this is not the time to to fully change the way that we're going to play we can evolve it slightly by bringing in more offensive players but in terms of changing that for the back doing it midway through the season it is it, i agree is probably not a wise idea given the few occasions i have changed for the back including for the last 15 minutes against arsenal when they went to pieces it's not the time to do it instead we'll do that big restructure in the summer for now we'll just upgrade what we've got to try and get us through to the summer successfully then we'll have a proper rethink of how we're going to rebalance this squad yeah, it always feels to be feels like that's the case with Newcastle, doesn't it? Let's let's just wait and see what happens, <laughs> and then you know we might sort it out in the summer. We might not. 
And yeah. then there's yeah, a whole new set of problems the, to deal with. And the key is, if that's what you're going to do, and if you're going to decide, okay, well, this is the way we want to play, you have to make sure, as I kind of going back on what I said before, but you you have to bring in the right people to fit that system. You can't just say, I want a right back, so let's go for the best right back. Or, you know, we saw this we saw this thing with keepers and Rafa when he first arrived, and Newcastle had I can't remember had three keepers at the time or four keepers at the time, and the first thing he wanted to do was to sign. Chris, quiz question. He brought in Mattels and then he wanted to sign Pepe Arena and he wanted to sign Willy Caballero. Caballero was one I was thinking of. And the the club said no. I mean, effectively, they said no. It took ages and ages and ages. Caballero then moved elsewhere and it didn't happen. The reason for that, we saw when Dubravka arrived, it allowed Newcastle to change the style of play because it's not just about having a, a goalkeeper who can shave, save, shave, shave shots, shave shots, shave shots, shave shots. Thanks for that, Mr. Connery. Save shows, perhaps <laughs> I've lost my sex appeal. Um, it's not just about having a goalkeeper who can shave shots. Oh, God, stop it, George, man. I'll have to get um, a wet floor sign up. <laughs> it's, about, it's about the way you want to play. And it's the same thing for left-back, right-back, centre-half. It's not just about having people who fit that role. It's about the qualities that they have to fit the system you have. And that, that's the thing that I don't think Newcastle have ever done successfully. And I think that's the, that's exactly the problem that they've got with Jalinton. They've bought somebody who they think will be a good player or can be a good player but he doesn't fit into the way they want to play at the moment so what do they do with him they're stuck with him at the minute and they have to make it work so you know so that's that's the thing if they want to evolve that's fair enough there has to be a strategy with all that in mind can i ask you this question both of you what is nabil bentaleb <laughs> an existential question <laughs> it's a good, an anagram i don't know it feels like for a crossword for a cross yeah, what is he? What's he doing? What is what is his purpose in this team? Well, go on. Well, I was I was going to say we sort of had this conversation before we'd seen him really play too much for Newcastle, and then in, in his first game or two, and it, well, he of the January signs that Newcastle made, I find the most intriguing because Samari, who they, who they bid thirty five million for, had the bid accepted. He fits exactly what Bruce has made clear once, which is a physical midfielder, more box to box, someone who gets between, uh, basically carries Newcastle higher up the pitch, gives them that bit of physicality. Nabil Bentaleb, from everything I'd been told before, and now from everything I've seen, is not that sort of a player. He is essentially, I'd, I'd compare him to John Joe Shelby, only he's been less incisive on the ball in terms of he's very neat and tidy in possession. He recycles it well, probably doesn't have the same killer pass as John Joe Shelby. Uh, so probably doesn't give the ball away as much, but that's not always necessarily positive because sometimes you want that midfielder to give you that sort of authority in midfield. I'm not quite sure where he fits in at the moment. I'm not quite sure what he's brought and what, what's so much better about what he's brought to the team. He's still probably getting his match sharpness back because he didn't play for a lot for a long period of time. But at the moment, I'm not quite sure why, how he's really evolved or improved this team from what we've seen so far. Yeah, he's just, he looks like a safer version of John Joe Shelby so far. Um, sitting very deep, picking the ball up, passing it on, moving it on. But um, I mean, he can he can obviously pass the ball well. He isn't doing those big quarterbacky passes that Shelby can do. Um, so and Shelby's been injured, so he's kind of filling in that role. I yeah, I don't get it either because Bruce talked a lot about energy and drive and box to box, and he categorically isn't that. I spent a bit of time during the game, during the Arsenal game, actually just focusing on Bentaleb and watching what he was doing. And he very rarely got across the halfway line. And when he did get the ball, he turned around and passed it sideways or backwards. Well, and I just thought, like, what what are you adding to this? What are you actually adding, you know? You probably can, you probably couldn't see it on the TV, but I remember specifically during the second half, particularly when Newcastle were chasing the game and moved to fought the back, Bentaleb 
was so deep. It was he was, yeah. he was just in front of the, the centre backs. Yeah. And on the radio the other week, I mean, John Anson was talking about how I can't. I think it was the Oxford game at home where he said Bentley basically played as a fourth centre back, and a, a large part he does. And you need. I can see can see the role that he brings to a degree, but that needs to be like the rest of the Newcastle team. He needs to be 15, 20 minute, uh, meters higher up the pitch. I'm not convinced that the that the, the I, I, in one sense when he had Bent Leb and Sean Longstaff, I think oh this is a bit more positive. He's got two ball players in there, but I I just think you need someone who's going to win the ball in midfield, and neither of those two that's not their natural game. And I thought that given the, the Arsenal midfield that they came up against, I thought that they lack that someone who could just be busy in midfield. Be that Isaac Hayden or Matty Longstaff. I don't understand playing him instead of Isaac Hayden. I don't understand that. Hayden's. I mean, I think Hayden's earned his right to, to be in that team. Do you, I would, would you agree? I would one hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, uh, I think, I think we've seen that time and time again that uh, the team looked better with with Hayden in it. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I think he offers a bit. I think he offers a bit more. But it's about trying to get those partnerships going, and it's about trying to get. Com- complementary qualities you know if you've got Bentaleb sitting right in front of the back three then surely that should give license to somebody else to to drive the ball forward or to be a bit more snappy or or whatever and you know we haven't we haven't seen the equivalent of the Hayden Longstaff partnership that we saw in the yeah. second half of last season, which worked really well, and that complemented the people in front of them and complemented the people behind. That's just not there at the minute, and it's about those relationships. A good team is about those relationships everywhere, and it's 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 not there. So, with regards to the uh, the Arsenal game, it was uh, basically the first defeat that we've had in in eight games, uh, going back to the Leicester game, or nine games, was it? Nine, yeah. Nine games, so that's one defeat in nine games, or if you look at the other way around, in (laughs) In all competitions, competitions. one win in nine games as well. Well, one one Premier League win in in eight or nine, I think it is, yeah. Um, It's one one Premier League, Uh, do you want to get this right? No, you get it right, go on, I'm clearly not up to this task. It's one defeat in nine fixtures in all competitions. That sounds brilliant. It is one win in eight Premier League games. That sounds shit. Yeah, well, that's, there's there's Newcastle United right there for you. It's shit. It's brilliant. It's shit. It's brilliant. Depends which way you look at it, doesn't it? It does. Through which tinted glasses, either rose tinted or shit, shit tinted glasses. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So I mean, can you are Newcastle safe? Are we are we safe? Are we? Is there a chance of getting sucked into the mire? Yes and no. Oh, thanks for that. That's really helped. Well, so I think I think when I was half caught with you in the strawberry the other week, it was oh. Uh, through to the fifth round of the cup, we're safe, we're fine. Oh, certainly after Chelsea, it felt like to me that's enough points, not not enough points to stay up full stop. That's enough, lads. Now just stop. Yeah, <laughs> but but they're gonna they're gonna be fine. However, and I still think they will be because I think they'll show what they've shown so far this season that they've got the they've got the characteristics and they've got the character to grind out a win from somewhere. There are a lot of teams below them. Equally, though. This is a team which was more than capable of losing seven games in a row. Mm. I mean, I just, I, I do feel that. I mean, I think that could happen. But if you look at the run of games coming up immediately, Palace, Burnley, West Brom in the cup, Southampton, Sheffield, very difficult, but they beat them, somehow beat them uh, away. I was at that. Villa, Bournemouth, West Ham. There is, you know, I, they're, they're going to get enough points to, to stay up. Yeah, I mean those those next run of seven Premier League games, if my calculation is correct, I think they got fifteen out of twenty one points from those reverse fixtures early in the season. 
if they can even get half of, of that from the, from that run, they're basically going to be safe over the next few weeks. And the one thing, and, and don't get me wrong, we all get insular in terms of you, you follow a team, and so you, you watch Newcastle at the minute, and you, I, I've heard a lot of people saying, oh, where the heck are the, the next few points going to come from? But every single other team just about down in that relegation zone or in the bottom six or seven is thinking the same. West Ham have got an awful run of fixtures coming up. Aston Villa really damaging defeat at the weekend against Tottenham. You take out Southampton and Sheffield United from that run of, of seven games and none of those other teams are really in any sort of form as well so it's it is alarming when you're watching the castle at the moment but i just think you have to try and put it in that wider context if they're not the only team who are struggling at the moment <laughs> yeah it's part of the reason why we look so comfortable in that league position is there is some good old-fashioned dross <laughs> in the bottom half of that league we are not the only ones stinking out the league in terms of performances at the minute no, not at all. And that's, I, I think Saturday is a very interesting game against Palace because they're really struggling. And I, th- I say interesting game, it'll be woeful. It'll be absolutely awful in every single way imaginable. <laughs> but interesting in terms of just looking at it and thinking, if Newcastle can sit, if they get a draw, if they can win that match, then suddenly I think that the, the tension just just is lifted immediately. But you you lose on Saturday, and then the nervousness really will start to build ahead of what is a huge will be a huge game against Burnley the following week. So I just think that one res- I think I think we're in that position where one more win, and suddenly I think that tension will really lift. It's this. It's it's part of this thing about football being a lie. Another great Rafa phrase, which he uses all the time: "Football is a lie." This season has been a lie for Newcastle. It's. They're twelfth or thirteenth now. What are they? Thirteenth. They're thirteenth, and they're terrible. The St James's Park is full, and it's also ten thousand tickets down. The performances say one thing, results say another. There's this. It's just this very strange thing where every single game is a referendum on Steve Bruce, and it's just this thing where there is. Newcastle are a mid-table team in terms of league position, but there was nothing mid-table about the debate that's surrounding the club and surrounding the team. It's it's a very it's a very strange situation. I bet if people listen to this and they're not Newcastle fans, they can't get their heads around why we have this angst every week about how bad they are and how terrible they are and all that kind of stuff and about all the stuff that's going around the club. But it's there. The league table says one thing. Your eyes say another thing. Your ears say another thing. What? Um, Your ears say another thing in terms of the atmosphere around the club. What does your heart say, George? And my heart just goes boom, bada, boom, bada, boom. But I, th- I think I think you're right about this sort of people who don't watch Newcastle route because I, quite a few times when I've been going to away grounds, I'll speak to to journalists who, who haven't seen that much in Newcastle. They go, oh, "What's what's all this about Newcastle? I've been great, you know. They've won however many games or whatever in the table, and then by full time, even if they've won the game, the amount of them coming up and going, actually, yeah, they are pretty crap, aren't they? It? <laughs> yeah. And it, it's just that my but sympathies that's, are with you. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, that's a reality. But I mean, you could. I mean, Newcastle have been particularly bad in terms of obviously metrics and the way that they play. But I've seen a lot of teams. Oh, I've seen Newcastle basically against every single team this season, and there are some very, very average. I think it's a very, very average Premier League if you take away certainly Liverpool and then maybe one or two others. It, it's much of a muchness, yeah. and Newcastle are, are very much part of that muchness. If that makes any sort of sense. <laughs> <laughs> Newcastle are very much part, part of, of the muchness. muchness. I love that. That's that outstanding. I'm, I'm going to get, get that, that tattooed, on tattooed yeah. on my forehead. The only kind of the, the only sort of 
bit of joy I take from this is that somewhere in a basement in London, there's three guys recording the Fog on the Thames podcast, talking about how shit West Ham are and <laughs> looking at us going, I wish we were Newcastle. It would be lovely to be them at the moment, wouldn't it? You know what I mean? I, they must be out there somewhere. The Athletic have got four bajillion podcasts at the minute. Those guys will be there doing that. Fog on the Thames, yeah. Fog on the Thames. The real B Super Mary Poppins. <laughs> Another, I'm doing quite a lot of Australian. Australian. No, that was Dick Van Dyke. Come on, know your cultural history. That was Dick Van Dyke. Oh, blow doing... me, Mary Poppins. That's better. Throw another tuba lager on the barbie. Let's go um, South African. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perhaps I have lost my shirt. <laughs> uh, right. So, Chris, is something that is getting your goat at the minute, if indeed you have a goat to get. Uh, and that is people saying that Alan St. Maximan should be playing through the middle. Yes. This is your. Go on, take the floor. Yes. Give it to them, both I, barrels. I, I rarely get exercise on, on social media, but I did yesterday. I know I wasn't really that exercising too, it wasn't aggressive, what I said, but I just I don't understand this sort of clamour to. To, and I'm not, to be fair, I don't think it's come mostly from Newcastle fans. I think it's coming from, I mean, Jermaine Jean has said it, I think, and a few other people who've just seen flashes oh, of well, Newcastle. it must be true. Well, exactly, it. it must be. But basically, they see flashes of Alan Saint-Maximin and think he's their best attacking player. So Joe Linton isn't working through the middle. Let's move Alan Saint-Maximin up front. Now, although Joe Linton isn't working at the moment in that formation, and I agree, I, I don't think that moving Alan Saint-Maximin to be a lone striker is the answer to Sam Maximan is best when he's running towards goal, like seemingly Joe Linton is as well. He, he takes players on, he gets Newcastle up the pitch. You move him and put him as a centre forward. What we're just going to lump the ball, Newcastle is going to lump the ball forward to Alan Sam Maximan and expect him to, something just to happen. I just think that you, you're going to weaken what he brings to the team. It's not going to alleviate the problems. And so I think you keep him in his strongest position and then you try and solve that in some other way, whether that's getting more out of Joe Linton, whether it's somehow getting Andy Carroll fit at some unknown period in the future. Uh, which is that's that's worrying in itself, given that they don't even know what the problem is with, with Andy Carroll. I think but, Haley's comet's going to come round again before Andy Carroll's. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, to be honest. There, but yeah, but just to put it quite simply, I just don't. I just, I just think it would be one of the worst moves that Newcastle could do to put Alan Saint Maxima to move him from a position he's very effective in to playing him as a lone centre forward. All it's, right, Chris, we've all had a drink. <laughs> come on, leave it, pal. <laughs> it's leave very. It. You should see. His, you, uh, nobody can see can see this because obviously people are listening. I mean, that's, I've just said something really stupid there, haven't I? I mean, obviously, we're listening to this, not seeing it, but I wish people could see the way Chris's hand movements are getting... Sat there in his, in his vest with his can of Stella. Oh, his, his hands are going all over the place. Oh, yeah. honestly. His hands are going all over the place. Unbelievable. It looks like he's doing semaphore. <laughs> yeah, this attitude, though, I've, 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 we were talking about this before. I think it's very indicative of the whole sort of FIFA ultimate team football manager age that we live in at the minute where people think, oh, let's get our fastest, most skillful player put him up front and pass the ball to him and he can do everything and that's how we win. It just doesn't work like that, does it? It's just, this is just, that's like schoolboy stuff. Yeah, it is. And it, I think it's also, it's back to this in, 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 in a different sort of way, but it's also this people who haven't seen Newcastle a lot don't realise they're not actually very good and certainly not great to watch and think, well, they're 13th in the table, so it should be fine. It's like they see highlights of Alan Sam Maximan, say, oh, you put him up front, he'd be great. It's like actually, if you watch them in a wider context of what he brings to the team, what Newcastle do, that's definitely not the solution to the problems going forward. Have we found a solution to your problems, Chris, personal or otherwise, yet? <laughs> <laughs> very much of a... Much just pack away from the drink, you know, everything will be fine. We're here, we're here to support you. We can talk you through this. It's okay. Well, thank you. It's, that means a lot. 
Oh, thinking about lighter times and lighter things. Um, of course, it was Sir Bobby Robson's birthday today, or it would have been Sir Bobby Robson's birthday today. He would have been 87 years old today. George, you're a man who spent an awful lot of time working alongside and talking about and working with Sir Bobby Robson. Have we got any lovely memories we'd like to share today? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it makes you feel very nostalgic. Um, we were just having a chat before before we started recording, and... Um, you know, it wasn't really that long ago. We're in Champions League week, and it wasn't actually that long ago that Newcastle were in the Champions League. Uh, I mean, it feels like an eon ago, but it was only two, three, four years before Mike Ashley took over the club. And I think that's, you know, without kind of necessarily harking, harking back to that, that's part of why, you know, Newcastle fans do feel this sense of uh, anger towards the ownership of the club it's because the club that Newcastle were and can be is what we saw under Bobby who came back to the club he supported as a kid um, at a time when they were pretty much bottom of the league and he got them got them back up to the top and that very famous season when got to the second group stage of the Champions League was was uh, was particularly memorable Alan Shearer banging in goals and uh, you know the pace of Bellamy and Dyer and all that kind of stuff in terms of personal memories I was very lucky I went to the same infant school as he did many years after him and then got to work with him he had a column for the Times which I ghost wrote for him and then I went on and um, uh, wrote his last book for him ghost wrote his last book for him so he was very very important to me very very funny very sort of dignified loved the office if i it's like makes him sound like the president but when I to, he loved the office of newcastle manager and he wore that with him and um he kind of loved representing the club and its history and traditions in that way there were plenty of times i mean there was one time when i was really close to a deadline for the times and he was writing a, most of his columns for the times were about england and I struggled to get hold of him and finally got to him in his hotel in London where he was at the time. He was Newcastle manager at the time. And he had me on one phone on the mobile and he had Lady Elsie, his wife, on the other. And he kept calling her son and <laughs> me love. And anyway, we kind of got through got through all that. But he was just, uh, he was just a great fella. And um, yeah, he was at the club at a time when... You know, the idea was trying to win something, yeah. novel as that now sounds. And he didn't manage it, but he, he got us pretty close and um, some brilliant, brilliant nights. Absolutely. I mean, I just want to cl- clarify that Newcastle are going to win the cup this year. So, I mean, they, they are going to win something now. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's a knowledge, eh? Yeah, the cup run. But no, just, just to hop back, the, uh, that's, I mean, it's sort of the, the Sir Bobby Robson era was when I was really starting to, to really actually understand, actually understand football, I don't understand football, when it, becoming aware of what was going on in the footballing world um, and, and seeing those, those sort of those sort of great nights. And I, I think I'm right in saying that Atlanta this year, the first team to qualify from the first round, having lost their first three games since Newcastle wow. uh, under Bobby Robson. Stat. I believe that that's correct. And yeah, I mean, that team was just, it was so, it was such an exciting team to watch as well. I mean, we talk about obviously the entertainers and that was different sort of football, but the the pace in that side, the yeah. likes of Kieran Dyer, Craig Bellamy playing off Shearer, Lauren Robert, Lauren Robert, not not bit Solano. It was just it was it was a really really good team, and um, he sort of 
it, again, it was it was he built on the emotion that, that that Kevin Keegan harnessed as well, and that what feels like it's missing from from the club at the moment. It feels like that sort of real emotional power that you can you can generate from from fans. As cliched as that sounds, I think that mm. that, that is missing at the moment. That he, swell, he that. that swell that was behind the team and that was behind the yeah. club, and that was then gets infiltrates into the city and it infiltrates everything. And so you go from the stadium to the pub and you just feel that wave of emotion and that's one of the reasons why Newcastle can be such a special city when the team's doing well because it just gets into everything it gets into the blood of the city and that was certainly that was certainly one of those times and you know we're talking about the balance of the team now you know you had a you had a team there where Shearer had, had terrible injuries he was very static when Bobby came back. Shearer tells that story very famously about how Bobby effectively just turned him around and said, look, I want you running on goal. That's what your strength is. And although there may have been personality clashes between him and Bellamy, for example, as Bobby said, you'll love him at three o'clock on a Saturday. And you had Shearer's nous, you had his strength, you had his goal-scoring ability because he was still banging goals in, but he knew how to win free kicks, knew how to defend at corners, knew how to play the game like that, and then you had Bellamy running off him and causing damage. And that that is that is about balance. You build a team around what you've got and then you add to it and make it better. And that's what Bobby did and he did it brilliantly. With no money at the start. Absolutely. I mean in, in, in the football world there's so many divisive characters out there, isn't there? And you get the impression that Sir Bobby was loved universally by nearly everybody who he came into contact with. The fans who of the clubs that he managed, the players who he played for. You have you have people like Ronaldo who speak really highly of him. A lot of these players who who owe their careers to that man and, well, and you know, we so, still think of think the world of him. Sunderland fans take him as take him as theirs. Yeah, yeah. And he was from Absolutely. Durham. He was from Durham and you know, very one of the things that always makes me moved as a someone from the northeast is when on those very rare occasions that we all unite, unite together, and that that was one of them. Bobby was one of them when he died. I remember that. Day, Sunderland yeah. fans, I think, were playing a friendly in Scotland, and they sang "There's Only One Bobby Robson." They celebrated him as one of their own, and because of what he did with England, obviously, you know, he 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 kind of represented our part of the world, as did players like you know, Beardsley and Gaza and Waddle and all that kind of stuff, at a time that was very difficult for the North East, he represented our part of the world with great dignity and courage and humour and Absolutely. all that kind of stuff. Um, and when uh, when I was with David, David Ginola recently going around the Freeman Hospital, he met Lady Elsie, went round the Sir Bobby Robson Cancer Trials Research Centre, and I talked to him, about, talked to him a bit about that, about that... You know the the reason why he's such a great figurehead for a charity like the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation is that he had this appeal across the whole yeah. place, and as David said, it takes a great man to do that, and that's exactly what he was. Well, I don't think we can add anything else to that. So we're going to wrap it up there, chaps. Thank you very much for your time. I hope you've all enjoyed listening to Pod on the Tyne. Uh, we're going to say to now, and we will speak to you next week. Cheers, George, and cheers, Chris. <laughs> <laughs>